Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Once again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. We want to welcome those of you at our Hazlitt campus, those of you at our McKinney campus, those of you watching online, wherever you're watching with us. We're so glad that you joined us. We're in week two of this series, Promises. I hope you got your guide. I hope you found a group. I know groups started this week. Weather made that a little bit difficult here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. If you didn't know, we had a little mini snowpocalypse. Hopefully not too much PTSD for anybody. I did hear... Our four by four team was like, anybody need water? We're good, we good? We they were ready to go. Our weathermen were flexing all week. Check this out, school's canceled. It, we get out of control when we do this kind of thing. Anyway, we just hope over in Hazlitt, McKinney, wherever you're at, watching online, you got a group. The reason why we do groups is groups help us grow. Groups help us change. Groups help us become who God created us to be. It's not something we made up. It's in there in the Bible from the very beginning. It helps us to get what all of us want at a deep fundamental level is to be connected, to be seen, to be valued, to feel like someone knows what's going on in my life. I heard a cool story about a young lady named Bryce who just moved to the area. And anytime you move, anytime you're in any kind of transition you're in a really difficult moment for loneliness, for feeling isolated. Maybe, you know, when I always try to tell people in premarital counseling, be careful because your single friends are gonna take off. You're gonna be like, where'd they go? They're like, you got married, you chose to do it. Any major life transition, we feel that. So Bryce was in one of those moments. She's like, I didn't know where to go. I was new to the area. I thought I would try to maybe find a church. It's a new season. I was looking for one, couldn't find one. She said a mailer came for Milestone. So I just showed up. And they talked about this thing, prepare, and I was like, I'm intimidated. I don't know about all that. I don't know if I'm ready for that level of a deal. She said, I went, I met this young lady who introduced me to this other young lady. Now I'm in a group, and I feel like these are the people God wanted me to meet, and she's connected now, and the same can be true for you. You know, a season of our lives where we really need to be connected, you know this if you're a parent of a teenager, I'm, I'm a parent of a teen. I've got one who's even now out of their teens and married, and we have something coming up this next weekend. We always take time to stop and say, if you have a parent, of, if you're the parent of a teen, or if you know a teen, or if you care about a teen, get them next weekend, if they're a high school student, to our Battle of the Sexes weekend. Because if there's an area of their life where they need help, where they need positive reinforcement, where they need godly wisdom to make the right choices that are gonna have a huge impact on their lives, it's this subject matter. How am I gonna, who am I gonna spend the rest of my life with? How am I gonna make this second most important decision? So do whatever you gotta do to help them get there because we don't wanna just guess. Hope is a terrible strategy when it comes to this area of our lives. They have to make those choices, but we wanna do everything we can to help them make the best possible choice they can. All right, back to promises, week two. Here we are. We've been in this series. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 19. It's going to take me a minute to get there, but it'll make sense why it's going to take me a minute to get there. But here's the basic premise of this series. God makes promises to us. Extravagant promises. Incredible promises. Promises that feel too good to be true. Promises that are so good it makes you wonder, like, is there some fine print in there? Like, when I try to go receive this promise... Is it gonna be like, well, it would work for everybody else, but it's not gonna work for you. 
Sometimes we wonder, do I trust? What is this God like? Can I really trust him? Because I think subtly, deep down, I've done this. I think you probably have too. We wonder, is God kind of like us when he makes a promise? Like, he really hopes and he wants to come through on that promise, but he's not always able to. It's a legitimate fear. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I feel that way at times. Because I think back to some of the promises I made in my life. I was thinking about a promise this week that I made. I was maybe 11, 12 years old. I just have one brother. We were like traditional brothers, sibling rivalry, really contentious. But there would be occasional moments of clarity where I would see how grateful I should be for my brother. And he's watching online. So sorry, bro, if you never knew this, but it's about to happen. And um, I was 11 or 12 years old. I was like, I really want to honor my brother. He's a great brother. So I was like, what can I give him? It was his birthday. So I was like, what do I have? And I looked around. I was like, the 11, 12 years old, like allowance or whatever. I had a $5 bill. I don't know where I came from. I just had it. I was like, I'm going to give him this $5 bill to invest in him. I hope he understands how significant this is. So I wrote him a little card, gave him the $5 bill. I was so proud of it. I gave it to him. And then like two days later, he made me mad. So I thought like, he's not the brother I thought he was. He doesn't deserve that $5. So without telling him, I went onto his desk, found the card, took the $5 back, and never told him what happened. Um, that's the end of the story. There's no moral to it. It's just, that, it's a struggle, right? Like sometimes we make promises we can't follow through and we think it's God like that. But the Bible word for promises is better than our word. It's this word covenant. And this idea is this significant partnership where a stronger party looks at a weaker party and says, you can't live up to my end of the bargain, but because of my goodness, I'm gonna make a partnership with you and I'm gonna put the onus, I'm gonna put the weight of fulfilling this promise on me. And that's what a covenant is and the Bible's filled with these incredible covenants. These incredible covenants that range all throughout scripture and they give us insight and understanding to who this God is and why we can trust him and how it changes our lives. You've probably never seen this little verse in Hebrews 7, verse 22. This is in the Common English Bible. Look at what it says. As a result, and we're going to explain what that result is, Jesus, here's two words we love, has become the guarantee. He's the guarantee of a better covenant. I love a guarantee. Think about that. We live in a world of FOMO. Every day, you have to make so many choices. And every time we make a choice, we're afraid we made the wrong choice. We do it all the time. The economic term to describe this is opportunity cost. When you choose one thing, it means you can't choose something else. You're like, what is that, Jed? Make it simple. Okay, when was the last time you went to a restaurant and you're looking at the menu like, there's three things I kind of want to like. Maybe with the spouse, you're like, you order this. I'll order this. We'll share. We'll figure out who's better. Then we'll eat that one. That's going on in your head or maybe just my head. But you order something and then you see something pass you in the dining room and you're like, what did they order? I think I should have got that. Right? Like, because we want the guarantee of what's better. We all want better. No one wants worse. Worse is hard for us. Worse makes life difficult. My 11 year old son is trying to get better at Madden football because he wants to be his dad. I saw him this morning. There's been a lot of throne controllers and tears as we've been playing because I don't let him win. He's got to get better. And so, this morning, he's like, Dad, I found this code. He's like, did you know you could do this? I was like, no, I didn't even know you could do that. You're getting better. I don't want him to beat me because I want to be better. We all like better. Here's why I'm telling you this. We, we had this relationship with God, and we think we know what that looks like, and we think we understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. 
And all the while, Jesus is saying, what I have for you is so much better, but better only makes sense when you know better than what? So here's what I'm gonna try to do for the next few moments. I'm gonna show you what Jesus is better than. In your guide this week, you're gonna read about 1 Corinthians 11 at the Last Supper when Jesus said, I came to give you a new covenant. We're gonna talk a little bit about that new covenant. We're gonna talk a little bit about the old covenant so that we understand what it really means to be better. Because if we don't know what's better, we don't know what it means for us. And then we're also gonna take a moment to talk a little bit about, well, how do we read and relate to the Old Testament? It doesn't make sense to me, Jed. Can you help me with that? I'm gonna try my best to help answer that question and help answer this question. What does it mean for the things I care about most in my life? And I'm gonna try to do all of that in a short amount of time without going 1.5 or 1.8 on the podcast playback speed. So buckle up, here we go. (laughs) Here's the idea, those of you in Hazlitt, I read this book this week called 100 Things We've Lost to the Internet. It's interesting. 100 things in our life, and it really only makes sense if you know what those things were compared to. I was talking to some younger people. They didn't really get it. But if you're in my mid-range, like if you're a Gen Xer, there's not that many of us, but we're proud and we're loud and, and we're here. Um, you can thank us. We're kind of an emotional group. We're the smallest group in, in, in uh, human history, but we gave you two things. We gave you grunge and we gave you gangster rap. You're welcome. Um, and so... You know, we live right in the middle of like, we knew what it was like before the internet, we got the internet, we see what it's like with our kids. Our parents are kind of one step beyond, they didn't totally translate. Our kids don't know what it was like before. 100 things you lost to the internet. Fascinating, here's one of them. Knowing phone numbers. Do you remember your phone number as a kid? You probably do. If your kids are old enough to have a cell phone, do you know their number? You do not know their number. I don't know my own kid's number. If I lose my phone, if I lose the contact, it's in the cloud somewhere. You could pay me a million dollars. I could not call my kids on the phone. That's a problem. (laughs) Of course, not that your kids answer the phone. They have a phone. No one uses the phone. That's a different message. Anyways, um, here's another thing we lost to the internet. Albums. We talked about albums. We don't have albums anymore. You used to like one song, you could really only buy one album, you hoped it was a good one. You wanted the guarantee of the better album. I remember one time I was at the record store, that was a thing, and I was gonna be like, okay, U2 Joshua Tree or Club Nouveau. Club Nouveau was one hit wonder, I picked U2 Joshua Tree. Lord help me that day. Here's why I say all that. You pick an album, you'd like, okay, I like this one song, then you realize song two, song three. You didn't like it at first, you'd, you'd try to go past it, but then you realize that's the best song. See, sometimes we need multiple exposure to something to really figure out what's better. And here's the last one we lost to the internet. And I was actually with Milestone College this week talking about trying to explain something that's better. I was like, okay, guys, you know how there used to be these things called libraries, buildings that had these things that called books? Like if you print out the internet. Anyways, um, they weren't paying attention. They're like, you mean like cave paintings and fire? Yeah, kind of like that. And so... You'd go to the front of the library and there was this big wooden box and in that wooden box there were these little cards and the cards had numbers and they were alphabetical and you had to find the number and then when you found a number, you had to walk through the library. They're like, what are you talking about? You didn't have Google? That sounds like torture. (laughs) And I was like, well, you know, guys, with Google, like you can look up and you only get what you look up. The cool thing about a library and a card catalog is you might be looking for one book on a subject and on your way to find that book, you found four books that were better along the way. We think sometimes newer is always better, sometimes newer is better, but better isn't always better unless you know what it is that you're actually talking us about, which brings us back to this idea of the Old Testament. 
know, there are some pastors who are like, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. It's too complicated, it's too challenging, it's too difficult. One of the things people like to say is, well, God in the Old Testament, he's real mean. And I always say, well, that's interesting. Have you read the Old Testament? No, no, but he's mean. And Jesus is really nice. You know, he's got the flowing locks and the Birkenstocks and he's hugging sheep, he's mostly vegan. I was like, <laughs> I, I don't think you've read the Bible, right? Like, like, I get it that it's complicated and it's nuanced and it requires your attention, which we're not real good at. Like, we, we all have constant partial attention, right? Like, even when you watch, like, I can tell you what your favorite show is because your favorite show is the thing that you watch when you put all the devices down. You may only have one. But once, you have to put all the devices down because otherwise you'll binge a show and you'll be with your spouse. You'll be like, this is, are we on the second episode or the third episode you start watching? And they're like, I think I've seen this, but I don't really know because we're not fully engaged. And the Old Testament requires nuance and thoughtfulness and attention and engagement and reflection. But the beauty of the Old Testament is it does exactly what it's intended to do. It shows us the nature and character of God. And I don't know about you, but in a confused, uh, distracted, constantly fretting over decisions we did or didn't make, one thing I know, I need to know, is the nature and character of a God who loves me, who created me, and has the best. He has better in store for me if I'll only reach out to him. So I need him. I need his word. I need his promise. Sometimes we think, well, we can't relate to the Old Testament because the world was so different. Yes, the world was so different. But human nature was the same. And the nature and character of God endures. You're like, I don't know, Jed, if, the, if human nature is the same. Can, can you show me? Well, I'm gonna try just for a moment. Like if you think about what it was like to be an ancient person in the ancient world. First thing about being in the ancient world was it was an agrarian society, which right off the bat means I'm in trouble, okay? Because you have to grow stuff. You have to be able to lead animals. This week during the mini snowpocalypse, my daughter and her husband, they came and stayed with us a couple days. They brought a cat. We had a cat and a dog in the house together with my kids. And that's a, listen, don't try that at home unless you're an expert level. That's a lot of stuff moving at the same time. Talking to kids, talking to my wife, talking to the dog, talking to the cat. When you talk to the dog, most of my conversations with my dog is like, it's going to be okay, buddy. You're all right. God sees you. He loves you. Don't be afraid. You're strong. Daddy's with you. <laughs> Jeez, I got enough people to pastor. Anyways, uh, I'm so, but he's like, okay, he's trying his best. The cat's over there doing his own thing, trying to get into everything. He's like, you watching what I'm doing? I'll do it again. I'm like, you're, sin, you're full of sin. Get out. No one ever invited you. It's crazy. So the reason why I say that is in, in this agrarian world, there's so, you can't control animals. You can't control the weather. But you were dependent on the weather. You were dependent upon your animals. You were dependent on what you could grow. You needed your crops to grow. You needed your livestock to be healthy. And then you needed safety from my enemies. It made me think about something my dad used to say to me all the time. He's like, there's two ways to make a living in life, son. You can make it with your head or you can make it with your hand and your back. He's like, I really recommend you make a living with your head. I was like, I think that's a compliment. Anyways, in the agrarian world, there was so much you couldn't control. You care deeply about your family. We, when we were fasting and prepared, I was thinking about this. You know, in the ancient world, they really only ate one meal a day. They weren't like, do we intermittent fast? Do we snack? Do we do? They, they just ate one meal a day because it took the whole day to make that meal. And you hoped you had food. They weren't over here going like, what did that person get in the restaurant? They were just trying their best to feed their family and they were trusting a God to provide for them. 
And so we think about that, we're like, ah, that's hard to relate, but is it really that hard to relate? Because there are so many things in our life that we care deeply about that we feel like we can't control. And the religious instinct in us is so strong. See, you think about in the Old Testament, there's these crazy things that happen. At one point, there's this ridiculous thing where people were like injuring themselves and they were injuring each other and they were so desperate to change their outcomes that God said one of the darkest things that ever happened in human history, one of the darkest religious instincts is this desire that to appease some other God, you would offer your child as a human sacrifice. Why would we do that? Well, that religious instinct, you're like, well, I'm not religious. Well, everybody's religious. To be religious just means there's something that you look to for ultimate meaning, for identity. It could be your job. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids. It could be your career. It could be your political affiliation. Whatever you look to to define and give meaning and tell your identity, that is your religion. We all have it. So I think about what it's like to be a modern person. We carry around these little supercomputers. We have 24-7 global connection. In the ancient world, when it was dark, you went to bed. There was no burning the candle at both ends. You didn't have a candle. So when it was dark, you slept, and you got up and you worked the next day. We never stopped working. We could continuously be on. The second thing is we have all human knowledge. Like, it's all right there. We don't need card catalogs. We can Google everything. We have all creative content. Think about that for a second. You know why you have a hard time figuring out what to watch? Because you can watch anything. We didn't used to live that way. There were only a few channels, and if it was not on when you were watching, you just missed it, and you missed out. But now it's like, I remember the first time somebody said, Jay, did you get the cloud? I was like, what's the cloud? They're like, well, it has music in it. I was like, what music? And they're like, all of it. I was like, wait, all music? Like any song ever? Like how do you know what to listen to? He's like, well, you get playlists. I was like, this is confusing. And then the last thing is we can order goods and food and transportation. It makes you feel so powerful to just pull out your phone and be like, what do you want? And then you just, bing, you order it and somewhere in the world it's on its way to you and you could track it. Why is that important? Well, it gives us this illusion that we're in control. But let me tell you, it's an illusion. Because the things that you care deepest about, a lot of times are outside of your control. Can you make your spouse do what you want them to do? Can you make your business go exactly how you want it to go? See, what happens is we start to think that same religious instinct, if I work harder, if I'm stronger, I can earn it. Because here's what we subtly think. This is where it gets really scary. We start to think, I don't know if you've ever thought this before, and the things we really care about when the outcome goes bad and we feel like we have no control. Here's the thought that creeps into my head. God, are you punishing me? God, are you trying to judge me? God, are you trying to teach me something? God, are you trying to shape me? And, and we start to think, well, if I would do this better, maybe that wouldn't have happened, or I could have avoided this, or, or why did they get sick, or why did this happen this way, or why did this, if I'd have done something different, and the problem is it makes it all about me instead of this God who created me to trust him. So he gives us a different way. You say, what's the answer to something that you can't control that you care deeply about? Well, the answer is covenant. God makes a covenant as the stronger party. He says, here's my partnership with you. So I want to give you a picture of how it looks before I tell you what it means to us and then pray for us. Look at this. I'm trying to explain a little bit. You're like, what was that old covenant? I'm going to explain it before we go to that Hebrews 10. I haven't forgot about it. We'll be there in just a minute. So here's a person. Remember, it's an agrarian society. There are sheep and there are bulls. You have prize animals. Those weren't your pets. You needed every part of them to sustain your livelihood. So in this covenant, it's a significant commitment. You'd offer this thing that you had, this resource that was important to you. Only the priest 
could take that offering and as the, that priest cut that animal, the blood was let out for the forgiveness of sins. That's why we sing about blood. When the blood is given, the life is in the blood, as the Bible says in the Old Testament. As that blood is let out, our sins are covered up. Our sins are atoned for. The priest would offer that sacrifice. Then you see there the curtain, the veil. The curtain and the veil was the thing that separated the people from the presence of God. It's called the Holy of Holies. And on one day of the year, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, one guy could go into the presence of God that was so pure and so righteous that it would kill human beings. He could go in one day at one time and offer on behalf of all the people the forgiveness of sins. And God in his goodness created a system that said nobody else in the world has this system. I'm giving you this system because I'm making a covenant with you to show you that I love you and I can make you whole and right with me and all of my promises can be yes in you if you'll just receive this covenant agreement that I'm making with you. And of course, they struggle and they do their best and they end up trying to earn it and they try to be self-righteous and they do all these different kinds of things and all the same things we do, which brings us now to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 19, therefore, the therefore is all the stuff we just said. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, See, the people that this letter is being written to understood they were very familiar with the Old Covenant, which is why I had to take a moment and explain it to you so that you could understand what this writer is saying is all the stuff we just said is set up as an equivalent to Jesus so that now we can do this. Look at what it says. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We'll talk about that in a moment. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good needs, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You're like, Jed, why are you belaboring this point? Here's what I want you to see. That was the old, here's the new. In Jesus, you see a person there. There's a person. And then in Jesus, Jesus isn't just like, oh, just accept Jesus into your heart. Oh, it's great, it's better. What does that even mean? Well, in Jesus, Jesus represents the animal, the, the, the lamb of God that was slain. Jesus is the great high priest who administers the righteousness so that the people could be free. Jesus is the blood that's poured out, the sin offering. Jesus opens the curtain so that the thing that separates us from God is removed. He's the offering, he's the priest, he's the righteousness of God. So no longer do we have to wonder, is God looking for a reason to punish me? No, because that punishment has been taken on to his son Jesus. So when he looks at us, he doesn't see how good we were how much we did for somebody else, how strong our ability was to make good on our promise. He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus, which says the most special place in the universe, the place where my presence is, where my presence without an antidote for your sin, it would kill you because of what I've done, because of the guarantee of a better covenant in Jesus. You can come and be with me. changes everything. 
But if you don't know what it took, you don't know why it's better. And if you don't know why it's better, it won't change the way you think and relate to God. So what does it mean for us to say that it's better? Well, the first thing is simply this. We can be in God's presence. Why is it so important to understand the righteousness of God in Jesus? Because if you don't understand the righteousness of God, all you're left with is your self-righteousness. And here's the problem. Self-righteousness will always make you frustrated, angry, mean, and mad at the rest of the world. Because you'll either be mad that they're doing what you're not doing, or they're not as good as you, or somebody who's worse than you is not being judged for what they did or didn't do. It makes you miserable. And it makes you live with this constant dread. Psychologists call it imposter syndrome. We all suffer with it. We're talking, I was talking with some of the students, prospective students at Milestone College, they're always like, what's your greatest obstacle? What's your greatest fear? They're like, that I'll go to college I won't be able to do it, I'll fail. I won't be able to live up to it. We all, I appreciated their honesty so much. We all have that sense of like, if somebody really found out, and what does that do? It causes us to be what God, it keeps us from what God created us to be. You know what you really wanna be? It's the same thing I wanna be, a person with a sincere heart. We wanna be us, but why, why don't we wanna be the sincere version of us? Because honest, if we're honest, we're afraid that if we're the us, we feel like God created us to be, the people we care about most won't love us. So most of us walk around trying to be something we're not, and then we're mad of the way that people treat us. When all the while God said, you're looking at the wrong, you're totally looking at the wrong model. When you receive me, when you put your trust in me, you're freed with full assurance to be sincere, we all hate going into environments where people are fake. The only thing that gives you the confidence to not be fake is when you know that you're unconditionally loved. Think about that. You say, how does that work? Well, the only way I know how it works is to be in God's presence. He could fill you like no one else can fill you. If you were to stop for a moment, we were to say, what's the most important place in the universe? What's the mo what, what requires the most security clearance? Maybe you think the Oval Office. Maybe you think, I, I don't know what you might think. Maybe you think the sideline of, of Cowboy Stadium to be the head coach. Like if you just decided, I know better than the guy who's the head coach, I wouldn't call a run with 14 seconds left. And, um, <laughs> but if you try to get down to the field, they'll be like, you don't have the credentials to be here. And in the same way, like you don't have the credentials to enter the presence of God. On your own basis, on your own merit, you can't go and be in God's presence and be like, what's up, I'm here. It would kill you. But in the goodness, the unfathomable goodness of Jesus, he goes, you would never deserve it, you don't earn it, you could never live up to it, but come with me. Because I love you, let's go enter the most sacred place in the universe, which won't just take your breath away because of scenery, which won't just inspire you because it's cool, which is not just Instagrammable, but being in the presence of God literally changes you. It changes your, your desires, it changes your emotions, it changes your heart, it changes the way that you treat the people you care about the most. And what a tragedy that those of us who've been given that right Choose to be distracted by things that have no power to form and to restore and to make us the people God created us to be. 
I do it and you do it too. What an incredible, what an incredible waste to have the God who created the heavens and the earth say, come be with me in my presence and be like, no, I'm gonna go binge this thing. Why do we do that? Because we don't understand what's better. Here's the second thing that happens. The closer we get to God, the more our trust in him grows. That full assurance, where does it come from? I like to think about it this way. Why is it important to know the Old Testament? Why is it important to know who God is? Because our confidence in the promise always comes down to our confidence in the one who made it. And I could tell you about my confidence. We could read the stories of scripture about the people who discovered the goodness of God. But none of that will help you because what you really need, more than spiritual information, more than religious knowledge, what you need is the relational confidence that only comes from being in a genuine, sincere relationship with God. Pastor Jeff just read those testimonies. I promise you, if we knew who wrote those cards, if they stood, they would tell you, I prayed to a God, I believed in a God, but when he moved in my life, he became a God that I had a whole different level of confidence in. And that's what we want for each of you. Do you have relational confidence? Have you put yourself out there? Have you said, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm gonna, put, I'm gonna trust you. See, here's one of the things I would say. Uh, we all have this propensity to try to make a deal with God, like, God, if you do this, then I'll do this, and God, I'll, if you, God, check this out. If I do this, I promise that if you'll do this, then I'll do this. We do it. We do it on silly things. We do it on big things. We do it on all the time. Maybe it's a big deal. Maybe uh, I've done it before in my fantasy football. I'll say, Lord, if you come through for your servant and show them how powerful you are, I'll serve you forever. And, um, Sometimes it works, most of the time it doesn't. Here, here's another one. I, I remember as, a, as a, I was telling someone last night, I remember as a young man, I was like, God, I had this dream to go to this one country. I was like, Lord, I would li really love to go to this country and serve you and see you do amazing things. But Lord, please don't ever send me to these other countries. You know the amazing thing about God? Don't make those deals. I had to go to all those other countries first. And I learned to love them, and God's really wise and deep, but don't make deals. It doesn't go good. Just say, God, I don't need a deal. I don't need to negotiate. If you say it, because you're good, I'm gonna trust you. And the only way that you build that confidence is if you actually take those steps and do it. Here's the third one, and I gotta tell you, this one surprised me, and it's gonna seem like you just did this because you've been talking so much about small groups, but it really is true. The third thing that happens, the third thing that makes Jesus' covenant better is that we encourage and gather with others. I've read this passage so many times and I never made a connection between the confidence and the blood and the assurance and all those incredible promises and then it's almost like I just would just read this one thing and disconnect it from the rest of it but it was like, and by the way, once you're in the presence of God, once you have full confidence to go before his throne, don't give up meeting together. It's like that's crazy that he would put those two things together, why? Because as long as you're centered on you, your deal with God, your self-righteousness, all you think about is you. And you know what? The most miserable people in the world, doesn't matter where they live, doesn't matter their job, doesn't matter how much money they have, they spend all their time thinking about themselves. But the most fulfilled people, 
the most excited, happy, enthusiastic, growing, becoming a better version of themselves are people who think about not what's in it for me and God, how many more promises can you give to me? They think about God, how can I be someone who connects your promises to someone who's far from you? And in the process of thinking about and serving someone else, they get fulfilled because that's how good God is. This is not a message. See, we get it so mixed up. We think, well, what's in it for me and what do I get and what, what happens over here and what are my guarantees and put it on the line and if I do this, then I'm entitled to this. And then we wonder why we're alone and miserable and we feel insignificant and we wonder what does it matter what we're doing in our lives because we were never created to be alone. I've never met anybody who doesn't consistently encourage others who feels genuine fulfillment in their life. But the people I've, I meet who are the most fulfilled, it's not that they don't have problems or challenges. Many times they have the biggest problems of anybody I know, but they're consistently focused on how can I serve someone else? Think about it. Is that idea in the Bible? Actually, it's all the way through the Bible. Not just in the beginning, not just in the end, in the entire Bible, there's this thing that God knows so deep about us, the more we think about us, the more miserable we are, the more we think about how do I be a blessing to someone else, the more God's presence fills our life. You're like, Jed, why are you telling us all this? Here's really simple. My goal for you is the same as our goal for this series. Like, why did you tell us all this? What, what, okay, so if it's better, just make it really clear. What do you want me to do with this? Well, it's really simple. There's just three things I want you to do. The first one is, I want you to spend time in God's presence. That's why we give you a guide. That's why we let you study that at, at home, on your own, whether you're watching online, whether you're over in Hazlitt. I want this week for you to realize what is truly better. There's no better place you can be than in the presence of the God who made you and who loves you, who's inviting you to spend time with him. I want you to be in his presence this week. Second thing is I want you to grow in your confidence of him. I want your connections to grow. I want your understanding to grow. I want your confidence to grow. I want you to try something that pushes you to be like, God, are you really gonna come through on your promise? Because I know if you step out, your confidence will grow, and as your confidence grows, your ability to receive more of his promises will grow, which will only make you get closer to him. And the third thing I want you to do is, I want you connected to somebody else. I want you to be someone who regularly texts encouragement to somebody else. I want to become normal in your life. When you get stressed, when you get anxious, when you get worried, and we all do, we'll do it before we even get to lunchtime. We'll be stressed and anxious instead of thinking about, how do I solve this? How do I fix this? How do I earn my way out of this situation? Instead, you say, how do I encourage somebody else? How do I serve somebody else? How do I find someone in my life who's struggling with something and tell them, God sees you. He's with you. I'm for you. I love you. I'm so grateful for your friendship. I know where you're at. I know you've been going through something difficult. You don't even have to have the answers. All you need is to be willing to say, I'm here to tell you God's promises are true and you can trust him. And it's amazing while you think about someone else's problems, your problems begin to change. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful for your presence. Lord, you're so much better. Lord, I pray for every person listening to me, those watching online, those watching later, those in Hazlitt or McKinney, those here in our room at Keller. Lord, help us to understand you truly are better there is no one like you. You did what only you could do so that we could experience what only you know. 
the peace that comes from the God who created us. Lord, I pray that in our situations, spousal challenges, family difficulty, financial needs, medical challenges, we'd experience your promises in a way that would cause us to see you for who you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.